If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. Family, I want to be really real with you for a minute. We've talked about it, and you know mental health is serious. That's why I'm so excited that BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, is a sponsor today. It doesn't matter if it's something interfering with your happiness or if you're like I was on the imposter syndrome episode and just can't seem to stop your mind from racing. The point is, when you need help, you need it. And BetterHelp is a credible, affordable, and accessible online counseling option that's safe and private. It's not a crisis line, but it is professional coaching done securely online. You know how we get down here and we say what needs to be said. And ain't nothing wrong with getting help. Life is hard, and you know what life while black is like. All I'm saying is sometimes we need a little help. Stress, anxiety, trauma, better help can support you through all of it. I want you to start living happier today. As a wild black listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash wildblack. Join over a million people who have already taken charge of their mental health. Again, betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash wildblack. Peace. What's going on, Wild Black? This is Vince. And I want to tell you about a new podcast that I'm sure you'll love. The podcast is called Some of My Best Friends Are, and it explores the absurdities and intricacies of race in America. Hosts Khalil Muhammad and Ben Austin, two best friends who grew up together on the south side of Chicago in the 80s, explore how race has affected their friendship, their work, their lives. And using pop culture and history, to guide listeners in identifying their own experiences of racism. One quick tidbit that makes it even more interesting is one host is black and the other is white. Through mixing anecdotes, entertaining storytelling, and thoughtful debate, the show helps listeners make sense of a deeply divided country. So what that means to me is you should absolutely go and check out Some of My Best Friends Are wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Peace. We've talked about obesity as being a primary character flaw or just a lack of self-control. And anyone who needed to lose weight or wanted to lose weight was really just seeking something that was quote-unquote cosmetic. Mm -hmm. When you take that frame, then you see this as being completely elective akin to plastic surgery, wow. right? or erectile dysfunction right. medications, right. or hair loss medications. The, the framing of obesity next to these other cosmetic or, you know, sort of personal performance types of health issues, Right. that's where we're working from. Like, so we're, we're starting at a deficit here. <laughs> and, and we're trying to bring everybody up to the idea of first, well, obesity is a disease. Is a disease, is a disease, is a disease, is a disease, is a disease. Here's a disease, 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 here's a
Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Listen, Art can't be here tonight. He had some pressing business to come up, so you got me solo. Now, it ain't really me solo. You know we got an amazing guest for you, but let me kind of set up today's topic a little bit. Here we have conversations about pretty much anything that impacts black folks. Some of it's funny, some educational, all are important. But today's topic has so many impacts, not just on our quality of life, but our ability to even live. Today, we're talking about obesity in the black community. Now, when I say that, I bet the majority of you are simply thinking about weight loss or the cosmetic aspects of obesity. And while we might touch on some of that, we're going to spend the bulk of our time really discussing the deeper impacts this disease has on your life and your world, not just on your waistline. As a community, we disproportionately suffer from inequities in healthcare. That fact is exacerbated by how much we over-index when it comes to obesity. Now, the intersection of these two truths has been highlighted in the media and in the minds of people a lot. COVID's going on. It's all in the news. We're reading about it. We're hearing about it. But I want to drive that point home just a little bit more. 78% of the people who've been hospitalized, placed on a ventilator, or died were overweight or obese. And of all those people, a third were black Americans. A full third of that group. But remember, we only make up roughly 12 to 14% of the population. And that's just COVID. So to shed some light on this topic, to create some awareness, to spread some education, to arm you with the information you need to improve not only yourself, but your loved ones, your community, this country, and Black folks in general, I want to introduce Dr. Jamie Ard. Now, before I turn the mic over to him, let me tell you just a little bit about his background. I love saying these first words. Our Morehouse. I love when I can say someone came out of an HBCU and quietly. I'm really hoping my son decides to go to Morehouse himself. So our Morehouse and Duke University educated guest, Dr. Jamie Ard, is the co-director of the Wake Forest Baptist Health Weight Management Center. In addition, he's a clinical researcher focusing on studying strategies to treat obesity in adults. He has particular interest in working with specific populations of adults who suffer from obesity disparities or where obesity treatment is particularly challenging, i.e. black and brown folks, older Americans, and those who suffer from severe obesity. So with that, brother, Dr. Jamie R., man, welcome to Wild Black, man. Man, it is great to be here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that intro. <laughs> Listen, that was, that was the best that I'm going to be able to do. The rest is up to you, brother. The rest is up to you to give these people the information they need. But I, I've already talked to you, and I've already researched you. So I know how much information you are really about to give to these people. But before we jump into this wild black shit, is there anything else you want to tell the folks listening about who you are and what you do? Well, I'll, I'll just throw it out there. Um, 
since I'm a I'm a homer and I and I believe that you are as well, grew up in Louisiana and uh, I grew up in the northern part of the state um, oh. in Grambling, Louisiana. <sighs> I had to I had to bring that out. <laughs> so you, the listeners know I'm a Southern University graduate, and there is this rivalry between the Grambling area and the Southern area. But it's all love. HBCU. It is. We all got those degrees. We all did our thing. We all out here doing our thing. That's right. <laughs> so we we got that that shared connection, um, but I, Grambling is where I spent my formative years, and then moved to to Atlanta to go to Morehouse and uh, got involved in the work that I'm doing now when I was at Duke, and so here we are. Nice, nice, nice. Speaking of work, you ready to get this wild black shit work? Yeah, let's do it, man. All right, all right. Uh, wild black shit. Three questions. The first two are. Lay back, fun and funny. The last one is our signature question that every single guest we bring on the show answers. I love to ask the question. I love even more to hear the responses. So we're going to jump in. Number one. All right. Listen, black grandmas have been treating our medical woes for decades. I mean, they, they have us drinking ginger ale, smothering our bodies in Vicks Vaporub, guzzling milk of magnesia by the, by the ounce and the gallon. And Lord knows, tossing back a hot toddy or two, right? <laughs> so in, in, in your childhood and as you grew up, maybe even now, what are a couple of the non-traditional medical treatments that your mother or your grandmother or, 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 or big aunt in the family, what were the ones that they hit you with? Oh, okay. Yes, this takes me way back. <laughs> so I, I, got some, I got some top answers for you on the board here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think number one um, might be Epsom salts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Epsom salts is good for whatever that ails you. I got that one after um, a couple of ass whoopings. <laughs> <laughs> if if you hadn't had a bowel movement in a while, you're gonna get some Epsom salts. <laughs> um, if you, if your feet are swollen, if your knee is swollen, um, you got to soak in some Epsom salts. Yep. Um, if you got a you know, sniffle or cold. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You might get some Epsom salt, you know, somewhere. So, <laughs> Epsom salt. That's number one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to move into question two. You ready? All right. This one is a finish that line. I've got six of them because one or two might be a little more difficult, but I ain't gonna lie. I think you've got all these handled. So I'm going right. to give you the first part or I'll ask a question and you have to finish. So the first one's from a commercial. Actually, all these are from commercials. The best part of waking up is? Folgers in your cup. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> all right. KFC is what kind of good? Finger licking. We're ready for that one. <laughs> All right. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. All right. Support the, ne- the the United Negro College Fund because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> terrible, I say. <laughs> <Hello, All right>. Barkley. <laughs> All right. Here's the last one. And, and this one, we're going to see. This one. You got to think real hard. This was like, I'm going to set the scene. This was mid-80s. 
Okay. Late, late night commercial. And it, it was long, right? It was not a 30 second. This was like two minutes. You, you hear all the okay. music, close your eyes. You hear all the music, right? And at the uh-huh. end, they say, this is a fantastic album, man. Let me borrow it. <laughs> what, what is the response to that one? Man, you got to get your own. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, that's a flashback. <laughs> Boy, Dr. R, you, you murdered that one, man. <laughs> oh, man, you got to get your own. <laughs> <sighs> no, my brother. Oh, that went way back. <laughs> it really I gotta did. Get a, I got to get a drink after that one. Mm. You got me laughing hard for real. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> all right, all right. <clears throat> our signature question, the only serious one we ask in our intro. What is it that you love most about life while black? I like the, the idea of being part of a group of people who are super creative. Yeah. That that is something my wife and I talk about all the time. Just you can't go a place and see black people who are not creative in some form or fashion. So if it's true. not if it's not fashion or something cultural, it's food or educational, you know, um, innovation or um, it is entertainment or changing the way a sport is played or thought about or what what even people think. It's that creativity that is just part of our existence in this in this country, right? Yeah. I mean, we couldn't get to this point if we weren't creative, if we didn't turn scraps into gourmet, yeah. if we didn't, you know, take implements and, and turn them into machines, or yeah. if we didn't take, you know a little bit of something and turn it into a lot of something mm, else. A little right? to a lot, and so yes, indeed. It's just part of who we are and how we identify. So it's like you just can't be plain, right? You you just, you can't be plain. You can't be in this group and, and not feel that creative spirit. Um, and that's just something I, I think is just awesome. Even even if you're not the one being creative, you yeah. can watch the creators, right, and appreciate that. You can you can cheer them on. You can support them. You can energize yeah. them. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and that, and that's unique to that's unique to our experience, right? I mean, it's I think it's definitely a, a something that feels like it separates our experience, like the rose that grew from the concrete. I, I feel that, and I appreciate that. All right. The dope quote. The dope quote is something that has relevance on the episode. It's a quote from history, religion, philosophy, science, arts, culture, entertainment. doesn't matter. But it has relevance on the topic that we're discussing today. Uh, Most of the time, it's from the mouth of someone black. Today, it is not. I want to read this dope quote to you and then get your thoughts about it. The first things that come to mind. All right. Reducing racial and ethnic disparities in health outcomes is more difficult than simply standardizing the care provided to patients. Eliminating disparities requires truly patient-centered care. That is, individualized care by clinicians who appreciate that patients' beliefs, behaviors, and social and economic challenges and environments influence their health outcomes, like Dr. Marshall Chin. 
when you hear that, what, what comes to mind? I know Dr. Chin. I mean, it, it, he, he's done some really important work in this space. Mm-hmm. And I think what he is describing is um, really helping us understand that an individual's health outcomes, mm-hmm. the, the, the fact that you have a particular disease like diabetes or high blood pressure, is not just about your genetics and family history um, in, in a series of poor choices that you make. Right. It's really a function of where you live, the environment that is surrounding you, and those factors that often are out of your control yeah. that have a direct impact that we can trace to your ultimate health outcomes. And if we want to deal with those health outcomes and make it such that everyone has a chance to be healthy, this is what health equity is about, then we have to address those factors that are different across different race, ethnic, socioeconomic groups. If we don't do that, then we'll just continue to spin our wheels and see the same outcomes. It's, there, there's another quote that I think is, is similar, and I, I don't necessarily have the direct attribution, but you know, several people have said it, including the former uh, Surgeon General, where you know, people have heard this before, I'm sure. Was, you know, it's the idea that your zip code is a better predictor of your health mm. than your genetic code. Mm. Mm. Right? So where you live has a direct impact on your overall health status and your ability to be healthy. And that, that's important. And we, we, have to, we have to deal with that if we want to get everyone to the same point. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I want to I dig more into to the, the, the functionality behind health disparities, um, mm-hmm. length of life, and, and zip code, as well as the quality of life. I want to talk about that a little bit as we move through today. I also want to say I think it's so cool that, you know, we, we found a quote and you know the person who actually delivered the quote. That doesn't happen too often, so it's kind of, kind of a cool moment. I want to start with something really simple. What is the difference between being overweight and being considered obese? The difference really is just a matter of going from hot to cold, if you will. Okay. It's a continuum, right? So... There's no point at which you say, oh, this is hot. You can go from not boiling to boiling in one degree. Just the same way you can go from overweight status to obesity status in one pound. Right. So there's, there's, the way I like to think about it is the condition of obesity begins with gaining weight. And some people gain weight through a point where they might be considered in the overweight category. And then if you continue to gain weight, you go into a category that's considered obesity. And obesity is, is considered a disease state. Um, so we, we tend to talk about people have obesity um, mm. rather than this is an obese individual, mm. right? So that, that's an important distinction because it plays into what I think ultimately we want to get to is is how we conceptualize this problem. Mm -hmm. If I talk about it as a disease and I say you have obesity, then 
we are now dealing with a medical condition mm. that um, you have, but it is not you. If I say you are obese, then mm. this is something that you've done to yourself or you have. It's a character issue or right. it's a personal trait. And I'm not thinking about it as a disease per se. So that that language is important in terms of helping us really kind of get to a point where we, if you will, medicalize this problem, right? right? So they bring it in, into the healthcare space rather than making it a personal issue like, well, you just eat too much, right? right? I mean, how many of us have heard that kind of conversation before? from a healthcare provider where, you know, it's the same, oh, you should lose some weight. Well, just eat less and exercise more. It's your fault, right? Mm -hmm. That that becomes the sort of default backdrop there for that context, for the for that conversation. And we know it's not that simple. We just came off the other conversation where we were talking about your environment has a dram dramatic impact on your health outcomes. And for the disease state of obesity, it is no different. Yeah. Um, there, there is a significant environmental context, and so we we want to we want to talk about this disease um, rather than just being a characteristic of the individual. I love the framing of that. It, it actually makes me think about the way we've been working to change how we frame mental health, mental illness. Right? Absolutely. I am Absolutely. not my disease. Right. Right. I am not depressed. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And yes. I, I love that. And I actually, hearing it, it, it makes it feel, it makes it feel like it's, it's something that we can accomplish. And, and this may be a misinterpretation, but when I look up and, and something has become such a big characteristic and a big part of me, and I'm 100% responsible for it, there's a tremendous amount of pressure that I feel mm -hmm to try to solve it, but also that I feel indirect pressure that says you, you can't solve it because you, you did all this to yourself. That's the choices that I made. It's the, the Twinkies that I ate. It's the fried bacon and bologna sandwiches that, that I ingested. And understanding that there's an aspect of it that comes from the decisions that I make with the food that I have available to me but that it's much, much broader than that because what is the food available to me? What are the conditions exactly. that surround me? Who's influencing right. the decisions that I'm making? How am I learning? Who am I learning from? And what options did they have at their fingertips while they got the information that they then in turn taught to me? So I really love that framing that it's bigger than just what I put in my hands and then shove in my mouth. I love that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we could, we could go down a rabbit hole and just talk about how all of the structural inequities lead to mm -hmm. the ultimate decision that you make on a day-in, day-out basis about how you're going to manage your weight yeah. and the food choices you make, your opportunities for being physically active, all of that, right? But, but if we start at that meta level and, and start to work our way down and draw the lines between these policy decisions these impacts on your, you know, community, these impacts on, you know, the environment in terms of access to food and yeah. safe spaces for physical activity and all of the things that happen within your work environment and so forth and so on. I mean, we started drawing all those lines and circles and, and looking at the impacts both directly and indirectly. Right. I mean, it's hard to escape yeah. that 
okay, this is not the individual level, you know, problem that we've historically made this out to be. This is really about a difference in terms of one group of people being exposed to what we call an obesogenic environment, Mm. right? This is an environment that drives people towards weight gain, okay? And having a very different response to that environment compared to another group of people. And when you have systematic differences in a health outcome that's simply different based on the color of your skin, right? you have to start to look at, well, why is that? Yeah. Right? Because that is not just a biologic difference, right? We yeah. know there's no biology related to that. Right. I think for people who, who struggle to understand that, I'll give an example. And I don't know if this is the best example, but it, it's one that I relate to. I can be, because I, I have struggled with my weight my entire life. My mm-hmm. entire life. So I know it is not, a, it's not just as simple as Vince control this hand to mouth movement. I know it's not mm-hmm. that simple, but mm-hmm. I, I often think about in, in moments when I've been doing good for a week or two weeks or, or two months, a fear that I recognize I have developed is the road trip. Because what the mm-hmm. road trip represents for me is such a change in my environment that I don't feel like I have the control that I need to eat healthy during the road trip. Because once I get on the road, I want to go. I don't want to stop for too long. So now all my options are Taco Bell and Crystals and (laughs) Burger King and (laughs) Waffle House. And like healthy for me then is a subway if I can find one or something like that. But if I had to live every day feeling like I feel on the road trip, I don't Mm -hmm. know how I would beat that system. Mm -hmm. Right? I have a feeling that I would be eating ham hot tacos every other day. <laughs> but you, you said a couple of things that really make me want to kind of ground what we're talking about in some statistics. Can you talk about the statistics that exist today as it pertains to obesity and race? Yes. So in the U.S. for adults, we're, we're talking about 40 to 42 percent of individuals in the U.S. as adults right. have obesity. Okay. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. That's generally across the population. When you start to look at African-American populations compared to non-African-American populations, Mm -hmm. African-Americans have the highest percentage of obesity. And now we're we're getting into the 55% range. Wow. When you... African-American women have even higher rates of obesity. Um, And when you start to combine overweight and obesity in African-American women, 
you are looking at percentages of around 85%. Wow. So the, the norm in, in African-American communities looks like, feels like, well, most people are, are gaining weight and are above the standard for what might be considered normal weight. Um, and, and this, is, this difference has been present since we've been tracking these types of data right. from the early 90s um, through this point. And, and over time, as everyone has gotten heavier, African-Americans have, have continued to maintain this difference in the prevalence of obesity and overweight in our community. And one of the other things that's really concerning is that the, the, the individ, individuals with the highest weights and, and highest what we call BMI or body mass index, mm-hmm. that group of individuals, uh, the proportion uh, in the population, that's increasing at the highest rate. Right. So we are generally, more of us are getting heavier, but those who started off at higher weights are gaining even more weight in this environment that we're in. And so that that's problematic. And that is, is the reason for concern here is because I, I can, I can hear what people are saying, but I look good right? and I feel okay. And I'm, I, you know, wear my clothes and I feel great and I got my, you know, significant other. So what's the concern? Well, I think the concern is when you start to look at other problems that go along with obesity, like type 2 diabetes, right? Right. The number of individuals who have type 2 diabetes is now in double-digit percentages, like the low teens, 13 14%. But that, that, that shouldn't be that way because when, when we had lower rates of obesity, the number of individuals who had type 2 diabetes was in the single digits, right? right? In terms of percentage. So we're talking about five, six percent. And that's more than doubled wow. over the past uh, 15, 20 years. And that goes right along with what we now see as the obesity epidemic mm. in this country. And African Americans, unfortunately, are again, you know, at the higher ends of those numbers where we're seeing, you know, 15, 16 percent of our um population having type 2 diabetes compared to non-African Americans or whites in right. particular, you know, being right. in the 8-9% range. Wow. So I, I want to take that, and I'm, I'm actually kind of conflicted about this next question that I want to ask. It's a build on that. I'm, I'll, I'll preface it with saying the question that I'm about to ask feels like it matters to some surface level, right? It matters to some simply because they want to be able to say, I am this or I am not this. But ultimately, I think it's going to be a question that doesn't have tremendous impact because it's really a line in the sand that that we've drawn. Now, I've given a a lot of background, but I haven't given the question yet. So let me ask it this way. Okay. We're talking about obesity, and there is a, a pound difference between overweight and obese. And we're talking about how obesity relates to all these other health complications 
that impact black folks because of our environments, because of our situation, because of our obesity rates? Work with me. I know it's a long question. Mm -hmm. So where I'm trying to go is the way that we measure obesity, the way that we calculate BMI, is that a fair measure for black folks? And, and the reason I ask that, because I've been, I've been in front of doctors before who said, listen, discount BMI. Don't even think about BMI. Think about your health. And I want to be real careful because I don't want to give people an excuse to say, oh, these charts don't matter. It says I'm overweight, but I'm good. Because ultimately, regardless of where the chart falls, if you are in a certain place, it opens you up for more illness. So I want to kind of preface it with that. Like, I'm not trying to provide an out, but I do want to understand if you think about the Americanized system that has gone into creating the standards and practices that are accepted mm -hmm. and that we use to create these equations that say whether you are obese or whether you are overweight, are they fair and do they compensate for black bodies? Who has a long question? Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate I appreciate your thoroughness there. <laughs> um, so this is, this is an important question because I think how we classify something and measure it is important. And people need to understand what the metric is and what it's good for, what it's not good for. Okay. Right. So body mass index is the metric that we use to classify people into weight categories. And that goes from underweight to normal weight to overweight to obesity and even severe obesity. Right. Now, is body mass index perfect? No, because it's basically just telling you body size. It, right. it says, based on how tall you are, this is how much you can weigh. So you can weigh 300 pounds if you're seven foot tall. Right. But you can't weigh 300 pounds if you're five five. Right. Right. So there, there's a distribution of, of body weight in the population. And, and we look at that body weight and how tall people are. And we say, okay, this, this index is essentially a poor man's way of looking at how much excess fat you might have on your body. Right. And for the general population, it's relatively good. It's actually relatively good when we, you know, look at, how much fat people have and how that relates to the body mass index number that they come up with. Right. And there's some instances where it doesn't work, right? So if you're a middle linebacker that plays for the New Orleans Saints, um, Demario Davis, and you have a body mm -hmm. mass index of 30, then mm, that's probably not right. 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 It's not reflecting what body fat you have because you have a body fat in the, you know, less than 10%. Right. And you got much more muscle. But none of us, most of us, are not walking around in that condition. Right, right, right. Right? The other area where it doesn't work as well is in older adults. But that's actually not to their, it's, it's actually underestimating body fat in uh -huh. older adults because we lose muscle mass as we get older. Gotcha. And as we lose muscle mass, that gets replaced with body fat. So if, if I weigh 200 pounds at the age of 50, Fast forward to 75 and I still weigh 200 pounds. My percent body fat, though, has gone up ah. simply because I have lost ma muscle mass as a result of just the process of aging. Got it. So body, my body mass index stayed the same, but my percent body fat went up. Okay? Yeah. So with all that being said, the way I think about body mass index is it's a great screening tool, but it's not a treatment target. Right. Okay? 
So th- what that means is it, compared to other diseases where we might actually diagnose the disease using a metric like blood pressure, right. we might say you have hypertension or high blood pressure if your blood pressure is greater than 140 over 90. And so the doctor says the goal is to get your blood pressure less than that because we know that having a blood pressure less than that is going to be safer. Right. Associated with less risk of stroke and heart disease and kidney failure, et cetera. But for body mass index, what we know is that if you lose 5 to 10% of your current weight, no matter where you're starting, mm-hmm. you start to get benefit in terms of health response. Mm. So you don't have to get to a normal body mass index, which is less than 25 if you're starting out at 35, you don't have to get all the way down to 25. You just need to get to 32 or 33 right. to start out with. And that's going to make a difference. And then if you can get a little bit lower and maintain that, that's going to make even more difference. I like so that. you, you sh- I, I want people to not get hung up on the idea that I have to get to a normal weight in order to be healthy. No, you just have to get to a lower weight and sustain that mm. lower weight and have good, healthy lifestyle, get good treatment, stay engaged with that. And if you can prevent weight gain over time, even, even if you don't do anything else, if you say, I'm not really interested in losing weight, but I know I can prevent weight gain over time because most of us pick up one to two pounds a year. You do that for 25 years since high school, you show up to your high school reunion, 50 pounds overweight. Yeah. Talk to right? me. Talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, preventing that weight gain alone is important. Mm. I love, I, I love the, the kind of layout that it's, it's not necessarily about a goal number. The goal in itself right. is betterment. It is improving on your current position. Right. Fair. Fair. All right. So you, you work in this space day in and day out. Right. And as you, as you interact with people or data or, or insights, what is it that, that black folks specifically are underestimating when it comes to the impacts of obesity? So I, I see a few different things that I think really set us up for poor quality of life later on down the road. Mm-hmm. And, and the primary being that when we're young, and we have obesity, there are a lot of abnormalities that we normally associate with obesity that aren't there. Mm-hmm. So, for example, your blood pressure may be normal. Your blood sugar may be normal. Your cholesterol numbers are likely going to be normal. Um, you may not see any health consequences related to excess weight gain early in life. Right. And that is this, this state of what we call, you know, metabolically healthy mm-hmm. obesity. So it, it, what, what that means is you have normal lab numbers and health numbers and that it looks like your risk of heart disease and diabetes is low based on those numbers, but you also have obesity at the same time. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, what we have started to understand by following people over time in studies and in cohorts is that that state is likely temporary, mm. right? So as you continue to live with obesity over time, 
there is a cumulative sort of effect that starts to happen. And you start to see people convert from this metabolically healthy state where Uh those labs are normal, that blood pressure is normal, to getting into all of these other health problems. And so it really is likely that you are just going to transition, and it may not be now, but it may be five, 10 years from now, that you're going to start to see some of the cumulative effects. And by that time, it may be harder for you to address the primary issue. So I think that's one major concern that, mm-hmm. that I see happen in my African-American patients is that we just, we, we let it go. Right. We let it go. I'm good, so I'm and, good. Yeah, and, and to, to, to put the, the honest where it should be, our, our healthcare providers are not as informed as they should be to really help patients understand what the risk is. And so, so there's not this sense of urgency that the healthcare provider is creating in that conversation, that relationship with the patient, with the black patient to say, look, I understand these numbers look great and that's good. We want to keep them that way. Mm. We want to keep them that way. And, and in order for us to do that, we need to be thinking about ways to address this primary issue. Wow. And that, that's, that's, a, that's a limitation, I think, of a number of systems, our educational system, our healthcare system, um, how we think about health and wellness in general. Hearing that, it's, it's interesting to hear that, right? Because I can, I can think back to my experiences with various doctors. And again, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've fought with, with weight my entire life. Right now, I'm currently losing. Um, and I can think back to each of the doctors that I've spent time with for various health issues across my 40-something years of life. And I can remember the ones who harped on weight and the ones who didn't. And I remember one specifically who, he, he did such an amazing job of constantly reminding me that my weight was going to cause issues. And he used examples in my current health. He's like, you've got this issue. And it could be bettered by weight loss. You've got this issue. It could be bettered by weight loss. But you're lucky because it's not cancer. Uh-huh. It's not heart disease. It's not hypertension. It, it's not all these other things that it very well could be. It's not diabetes because yeah, it, it is hypertension a lot. It could be diabetes. <laughs> I, I said the wrong thing. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and he, he always talked about how I need to be focused on where I am today, but I need to be focused even more on what my actions today, where that would lead me tomorrow. And that the fight tomorrow would be harder than the fight today. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing that goes along with that is that we often discount the 
mechanical impact of obesity on our mm-hmm. body, right? Just the wear and tear. Yeah. I mm. saw a patient last week, no lie, who was 54, okay? This, this is a woman who is a few years older than I am. Right. And she's already on one knee replacement and looking mm. to get the other knee replaced. Mm. Can barely walk because of persistent, untreated obesity. Mm. And, you know, you, you might not have diabetes or high blood pressure or have had a stroke or kidney disease or any of those things. But when you talk about you're in your 50s and you can't get yourself up off the ground if you fall. Yeah. Or you, you can't enjoy your children or grandchildren or you can't, you can't go anywhere yeah. because if it doesn't have a chairlift or you can't get your um, electric wheelchair out of the space, then, then you're stuck. Those types of things, I know it sounds extreme as an example, but, you know, this is real. This, you know, sleep apnea, those joint problems, yeah, your well, overall quality of life. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. I hate I mean, that all damn these mask. things. Yeah. I mean, all these things are real. Yeah. And I, I, feel, I feel really badly for my patients who come in at, at those extremes because I wish, I wish I'd, you know, been able to catch them, you know, five years earlier. Yeah. Or, or we had been able to talk after, you know, they went through that divorce and picked up a few pounds yeah. or after they stopped smoking and picked up a few pounds. Like, that's the time. That's the time that we need to be talking about. Yeah. Hey, let's do something. We may not be in trouble. We may not be in the the red zone, but but we clearly got some warning signs here, and we we need to engage in treatment. And I and I think that the engaging in treatment piece is the part that we really want to see people get more opportunity to do. Right. Because that that is you can have these conversations, but if you don't have access to treatment, yeah, then that's also going to create a problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about treatment, right? And, and let's start with talking about it from, from two different perspectives. Individual treatment, that one person, that one patient who is managing through an obesity crisis. How, how does that person truly begin to change what's happening in their world? And, and then secondarily, how do we, how do we attack this from a, a communal or, or a black community standpoint? What, what kind of things need to happen there? So at the individual level, I think um, some things that I would recommend to people to think about um, and be empowered to do. First of all, I would say you need to ask a health care provider for help. So a lot of times, I think going back to the, the part of the conversation where we talked about, well, this is my fault. This is my problem. Right. I got myself here. I'm going to figure a way out of it. That, that becomes the orientation. Yep. So if you have that perspective, then you're not going to seek help. And when someone maybe offers help, but, or, or maybe that help feels like it's coming from a, a place that you're not you don't feel comfortable with, then you may turn that down or you may not see it as help. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you were to talk to your healthcare provider and say, look, I've, I've tried to implement 
a healthy diet. I've, I've tried to modify what I'm eating. I am, you know, trying to be physically active or I need some help getting more physically active. Um, those are things that you can begin to reach out with. And I think you can also ask your provider about treatment options that they feel comfortable providing mm-hmm. for you. And mm-hmm. that, that could include recommendations for other professionals like dietitians and behavioral health specialists that yeah. can counsel and coach. I'm seeing my dietitian um, Wednesday, as a matter of fact. Wonderful. Wonderful professional groups, right? Then you can also inquire about medication treatment options. Medications are a standard part of what we do when we think about treating obesity. Mm -hmm. The same way we think about medications for diabetes and high blood pressure, Mm -hmm. we should be thinking about that for obesity. The, the, The challenge is, again, people don't think about medication because they see that as either a quick fix or short term or something I'll just take to get a boost, so to speak, and then I can fix it myself. Right, right. Plus, what what kind of medications exist to create, to to fix the problems that I caused in myself specifically? Exactly, exactly. And we would never do that when it comes to those other diseases that we mentioned. Exactly. If you you got, um, let's say someone got HIV, Right. This this is a I think this is a perfect parallel. Right. In the in the 80s, when we were just learning about HIV and and, you know, the the cultural conversation at that time was, well, this is a a gay person's gay man's disease. Right. right? And this is something that they've done to themselves in that community. Right. Well, fast forward, we learn a lot more. We got way more science and we understand that this is not a, you know, punishment for a character flaw. Right. Um, and and we see, you know, this is transmitted in heterosexual uh, communities and, and, and couples. Um, all of these things that we've learned about HIV and how to treat it, we would no longer say to someone, or no one should, should internalize to the point where they say, well, I got HIV um, because of some behavior I did. And so I'm just going to try to fix it on my own. Right. We would never we wouldn't say that. that. We would never do that. But that's exactly what we've done with obesity. And we need to work our way out of that. Yeah. Part of the way that we do that is by getting people to start advocating for treatment and, and asking providers like, hey, you, you treat my diabetes, you treat my high blood pressure, you give me medicine, you know, pain meds for my knees and back, and you put me on sleep, you know, CPAP for my sleep apnea. But we haven't, we haven't, you haven't treated my obesity. Yeah. And I, and that, that you, you know, that healthcare provider will admit that all of those problems might be related to that one central issue. And we could, we could address that. Do you think that perhaps we respect the impacts from cancer and diabetes and, and heart disease more than we respect the impacts from obesity. Do you think that's that's why we take we take that more seriously, or 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 is it related to to the shame of saying I, I need help to lose these pounds? Right? Is it is it the fact that we love to say oh, I just you know I'm I'm 45, but that's that's my baby weight. You know, I'm I'm big bone. Yeah. Right? What what is it? <laughs> I think it's all of those things. I think I think some of it is you know you gain those two pounds, you're not going to die tomorrow. Right. Right. So the sense of urgency about it is lower. 
right? I, I, I can't remember how many times I've heard people say, well, I'll start my new diet to, um, on Monday. Shit, I said a couple weeks ago. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, I got time. Yeah. If you had a cancer diagnosis, you'd be like, man, right? I am starting my treatment tomorrow. <laughs> I'd go back and I'm do it yesterday if I could. <laughs> yeah, I'm clearing my calendar. Or if you got, you know, newly diagnosed diabetes, right? Hey, what do we have to do to fix this? Right. And so there's, there's just a sense of urgency about it that is not there for, you know, obesity the same way it is for other diseases. We, we just got to respect obesity's gangster. That's what we got to do. We got to respect this gangster. It, it, it is. Yeah. It, it's, the slow, it's a slow creep on you, right? It is, it is definitely a slow creep on you. And, and you know, I, I will have to admit that in the past, we've, we've also felt like obesity is difficult to treat. Yeah. Um, we, the 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 field has had some challenges with safety of certain medications in the past, and right. we've had starts and fits um, with what we know to be effective in in those types of things. Um, but that's evolved over time, and and there are better treatment strategies for obesity. Again, including some newer medications, surgical treatments are good options for certain people. Mm-hmm. And you know when you when you can find a person who specializes in this space and is a healthcare provider and works with a, a team approach in terms of a comprehensive uh, center the same right. way we do, right. um, you can get good results and you can get good care that is going to change your life um, and change your health. Mm. I love how that sounds. What, what about the community? What should we be doing there? Yeah, so at the community level... I think this is really important for us to be activated as black people because there is, if if you think about, okay, the disparity in obesity for African-Americans that we talked about earlier, if there were a way to open up treatment access simply based on the idea that a higher proportion of African-Americans have obesity, we as a community are likely going to benefit more, right? right? But if we don't have access to it, to, to treatment, we're going to suffer more. And that disparity is going to continue. Mm. So as, at a community level, I think there are a few things that we can do. One of which um, I'll bring attention to for your audience is advocating for something called the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act. This is, this is a piece of policy, a piece of legislation that is in Congress now being considered. It's been around for a while, and we're, we're working hard to try to increase awareness about this piece of legislation because it will actually change access to treatment options for individuals who are on Medicare, right? Right. Now— while it's focused on Medicare, if you know anything about how healthcare works, what you will understand is if Medicare does something, then a lot of the other commercial healthcare plans and your employer's plans will start to do that thing as well, right? So right. Medicare generally is going to set a standard and say, well, if we cover this, then other people are going to kind of fall in line and want to cover the same things. Gotcha. The problem is Medicare actually does not cover treatment of obesity Wow! in terms of medications and certain types of treatment strategies. 
for obesity. There's a very limited amount of, of, of care that's provided by Medicare, covered by Medicare. And, you know, when you think about that, when you say less than 1% of people who have obesity and have Medicare actually have access to and use Medicare for coverage of obesity treatment. Right. That's a problem. It is. It is. That's a real problem. And so this, this piece of policy could actually change that. It, it would change that if we can get it enacted. And so what, what we need to do as a community is actually go out and advocate for that. And, and you know how you do that? You do that by talking to the people that you've elected. The people who are there in Congress to represent you, you can say to them, look, this is something I care about. And this is going to impact my community. It's going to impact me. And I want to make sure that we have access to care. Um, And so if people were to go to obesityaction.org forward slash T-R-O-A, Treat and Reduce Obesity Act, or if you just do a Google search for Treat and Reduce Obesity Act, you will be able to find out how to take action. You can, they, they got a really nice um, form there that you can use on that page, the obesityaction.org page, right. and you can put your information in and they will prompt you on how to contact your state representatives, your senators and your local uh, legislators to be able to advocate for this important piece of policy. Wow. The Treat and Reduce Obesity Act. Yes. Obesityaction.org, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Awesome. I want to make sure that, that people get that. I'll also include that in the, in the episode notes. There, there was something that you said that I, I really want to dig into because it's such a disconnect for me, right? When, when we opened the interview... We grounded it in the statistics that that surround obesity, right? Black, white, and other. And although they are more extreme in the black community, they're not great in any community, right? Right. Exactly. So we talked about how significant they are. Then we talked about the implications of obesity, right? The the additional health impacts, the, the mechanical impacts on your body. We, we didn't talk as much about the social impacts, but we all recognize the social and the societal impacts. And then as we were talking through treatment, you, you, you talked about how Medicare is this like center of influence for other plans, commercial, private employer, corporate America plans. And then you said this one line that really, really threw me. If we understand the significance in the statistics, if we understand how powerful the implications are from a health perspective. And we understand how significantly this country is overburdened when it comes to obesity and obesity-related health issues. Why, in God's name, does the most influential body, when it comes to medical benefits, not respect the impacts of obesity and provide some type of coverage? Why is it that Medicare doesn't have more benefits to support people as they fight through the disease of obesity? Well, the short answer is that we haven't always treated it as the disease that it is. So for the longest time, we've talked about obesity as being a primary character flaw or just a lack of self-control 
And anyone who needed to lose weight or wanted to lose weight was really just seeking something that was quote-unquote cosmetic. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when you take that frame, then you see this as being completely elective, akin to... Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, But the bag did feel a little light. Plastic surgery, right? Right. Or erectile dysfunction medications or hair loss medications. Um, That the framing of obesity next to these other cosmetic or, um, you know, sort of personal performance types of health issues. Right. Th- that's what that's where we're working from. Like, so we're we're starting at a deficit here, <laughs> and and we're trying to bring everybody up to the idea of first. Well, obesity is a disease, and in 2013, the American Medical Association actually acknowledged that in a formal fashion, and that that was important, I think, in terms of having the, you know, sort of preeminent medical association in the, in the country, a group of professional physicians say, yes, we understand obesity is not a, a character flaw. It is a, a, a disease with a recognized, you know, dysregulation of how the body handles energy, right? Something is wrong there. And that, right. that leads to the, the change in weight that we see with the excess body fat. So, we thought that might be a watershed moment and really start to open up treatment access. But in the eight years since, we have not, we have not seen that type of change in policy that we need. And so that brings us to this point of, you know, trying to have these conversations around, okay, we actually have to be, you know, out there advocating and being very clear about where the science is, what our understandings are, what the treatment strategies look like. And I think we can all agree that the, you know, impacts are devastating. Right. And so now we've got to go back and change that mindset, that, that way of thinking, in order to actually be able to get to action, I think. Yeah. So the scene that, that pops in my head, and I <laughs> have to laugh at myself. Um, if you remember Minister Society, and you remember mm-hmm. Bill Duke's character when he said, you you know you done fucked up, right? So <laughs> that's what I feel. And, and, and specifically, not, not at you, at America, right? Mm-hmm. I, I look at my country and, and I feel like I want to wave my finger and be like, you, you know you done fucked up, right? Because mm-hmm. as horrible as, as COVID was, there were a lot of positives that came out of it, right? And, and we, could, we could talk about them. You know, families got decimated, but families also got strengthened. But mm-hmm. when I think about the way the country moved, Right, arguments aside, mask, anti-vax, mm-hmm. all that aside. When I look at how the country moved in a very short time span, mm-hmm. we created something that answered the question on how do we manage through this pandemic. We created these vaccines, and, we, and very quickly, on the scale of how things normally happen, we 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 arrived at three. Right, mm-hmm. and so my you know you done fucked up moment is now I know this is the shit that can be done. And, and when I look at something <laughs> as significant as, as obesity, and I am not an expert, but I feel like 
if you were to weigh the impacts of COVID across the last 18 months and obesity across the last 18 months or 30 months or or 10 years, I feel like obesity would win that arm wrestling battle. I feel like obesity, as bad as COVID is, I feel like obesity is like the true monster in the corner. And if our country can do what it did in 18 months, actually less than 18 months to combat COVID, why the hell can't we do something to combat obesity? Is there not enough money? I mean, people are paying for weight loss pills over the counter and all kind of stuff all day long. Like, mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. the issue, America? Like, what, what's the deal? Yeah, I, I'm with you. <laughs> I am, <laughs> I'm with you. And you know, I have these conversations all the time with people who are setting policy, thinking about policy, to individual level employers and and people who are considering, you know, do we include these benefits as part of our health insurance plan, or do we just give people? you know, a gym membership per se. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I think that the, the stumbling block for a lot of people still comes down to this, this notion of individual responsibility, taking ownership of the fact that, you know, you made this choice and not feeling like it's, my responsibility as the employer or as the government to to fix that mm-hmm. right or to offer something that that helps you fix that and you know our healthcare system is just not a healthcare system right it's a sick care system so yes. we wait for people to get sick yes and then we jump all over it and say well we don't want to spend too much money so we got to help this person Meanwhile, we watch that person develop these, you know, various complications. You of know it's coming. <laughs> and we, we could see it coming from a mile away. We watched it for years and years. And, and, and we did very little to, in terms of helping that individual. So this is where I think we are trying to change that mindset. And there are plenty of economic analyses that show that, you know, treating obesity save, saves money. Right. In any number of different settings. Right. So so it's not an economic argument in my mind. Right. There are plenty of analyses that show that, you know, effectively treating obesity saves lives even, especially with with treatment like surgical treatment. There there are data that show that you can reduce death from all cause, from cancer, from heart disease. You can even take people. um, We do this in our program. People who've got recently diagnosed type two diabetes and they have obesity, you treat the obesity, the diabetes goes away, right? right? So it, we know all of that. And so I think, yeah, right now, we're at the point where we have to create the political will to say this, this is unacceptable and this has to change. Right. And, and if we get enough people saying that message, like I've asked my doctor for help. My doctor says they'd love to help, but these medicines aren't covered or the treatment that they would like to provide is not covered, that's unacceptable. Right. We, our country is too great to accept this type of treatment for a disease that affects 40% of the population. Wow. Unacceptable. I, I agree. So is the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act the central place that you feel while Black listeners should place their support and voice their opinion? I think that's the, the, the place where we know if, if I'm looking at a system 
and saying, okay, where can I, where can I have some impact as an individual or collectively as a community? Right. I, I definitely point to that as, as a primary place to start. But I also think that you can look in your community and try to begin to identify other pieces in the system that, you know, you can influence or have an impact with or, you know, collaborate in order to, you know, see a change. So for, as, as an example, um, we talked about, um, alluded to the idea of, you know, what your food environment is like. So if you live in a community where you don't have access to healthy food options, um, or if your, your, you know, community is surrounded by fast food restaurants, for example, Right. Um, which is often the case in a lot of predominantly black communities compared to white communities, then that's going to have an impact on what you choose to eat. And even if you don't recognize the, you know, sort of direct link, indirectly seeing those advertisements and then walking out your door and seeing the symbols that are associated with those advertisements, why do you think I got all those you know, those questions you asked me right right early on because advertising works. Right. Right. I, I know all of those phrases, right? Even if I haven't heard them in years, it's been ingrained. And so when when we live in that kind of environment, you know, that's going to have a direct impact on our ability to be healthy. So, you know, if there is a community group that's talking about, hey, let's bring some different types of food options into our neighborhood, get involved with that. If you're if you you know have access to or is there's a group that's looking at community gardening, mm-hmm. building a garden that you know people can get access to fresh fruits and vegetables or bringing in a farmers market um, that you know allows people to to buy based on um, using SNAP benefits in EBT cards like that. Those are the types of things that you know can have a direct local impact and start to change the system. Right. Um, and give people, again, a better chance at being healthy. Mm. Wow. All right. I've got one and a half more questions for you. Um, Are we? We're, we're, we're closing out. And I, I, like to, I like to ask these kind of questions from time to time, especially when I really, really want to drive a point home, right? I want to use symbols in this case. So as morbid as this example will be, I, I think it's fitting because obesity is, is killing us. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that there's a, a nice or kind way to say that. So if, if you consider the American population, the black population, the black community, the world as one individual, and, and that individual is going to be murdered by a weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Which weapon do you think would most, be, would most likely be associated with obesity and any weapons. I'm thinking like the, the guillotine and automatic rifle, handgun, knife, poison, lace drugs, bow and arrow, mm. like death from a thousand mm. paper cuts. Mm. What would obesity be? And I don't, I don't know if this is, if you would consider this a weapon, but, but follow me with the answer I'm, here. I'm following you. I'm right here. I would say this would be alcohol. Mm. Okay. Right. Obesity would be alcohol because... Most people have changed their mind about alcoholism and, and excessive alcohol intake over time. Like, we understand that's a disease. Right. Right? Some people can drink alcohol and be fine. If, if some person have a drink and that's all they want for the rest of the year, other people have a drink and 
they're going to want it for the rest of the night right. and the next day, right? That's a disease. That's a, your, your brain is set up to respond to that alcohol in a certain way. Right. So it, it's insidious, right? Insidious. It, it just, you know, happens over time. There's no urgency about it. You can, you know, have lapses. You can lose weight and feel like things are going great and then mm-hmm. regain that weight and feel like it's not going so great. Talk to me. Hello. Right? Alcoholism, very similar. You know, it's a chronic relapsing condition. There's an addiction component to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a food addiction component to obesity for some people. Not everyone. Right. There are lots of causes of, of obesity, but I'm just saying in terms of this particular analogy, there can be some addictive components to that. The types of foods that we produce in this country are highly addictive, actually, when you think yeah. about it. I mean, who can have just one Oreo? Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, it's it's set up to w- make you want more, right? You have one physiologically, you're going to have a response that makes you want another. Yeah. And so, oh, but over time, that alcohol, you could you could be a productive citizen. You could not get DUIs. You could, you know, keep going mm-hmm. and exist, but but internally, that alcohol is chewing up your liver, mm. right? It's it's going to have an impact on your stomach, maybe increase the risk of esophageal cancer or some other type of cancer, mm. cirrhosis. Next thing you know, that person's dead. Mm. You never knew that they were alcoholic, that that they had a problem with alcoholism. Right. You never knew that, right? They just look like a normal person. We, us with with the disease of obesity, is, I mean, everybody's got obesity these days, right? We see yeah. it. It's always there. It's normal sort of feeling. Yeah. And there's no sense of urgency around that because, again, that's it's everyone. Sounds but right. it it's it's gonna sneak up on you and kill you slowly. Yeah. So I I just to me I feel like that that would be the you know. Weapon is not exactly a weapon, but it's it's an analogy. But to it, me it that is, and it happens. makes perfect sense. Like what what with what you were saying, it just hit me that I, I feel like obesity has become one of those things that is so seen and so recognized that it is becoming invisible. We are just mm-hmm. used to people looking like this, mm-hmm. behaving like this, struggling to move. It's it's like it's become accepted to look up in your family. I mean, we all have that family member who you know mm-hmm. they really probably should not need to be in a wheelchair, but they are. We all have mm-hmm. that family member who won't get up for anything, ask all the kids at the at the reunion to bring them the, the second or the third plate. We, we yep. all know that person, and I think we've normalized accepting that and, and not pushing back and, and challenging it and completely respecting the fact that it is not all about the decision of what you put in hand and then put to mouth. There are bigger things. It's situational. It's environmental. It's about education. But mm-hmm. I still think individuals have a responsibility to not be quiet, right? I, I, have, yeah. I finally got to the point. I was like, you know what? I got to talk to my doctor about this. I've got to go see the dietitian and the nutritionist. and I've got to consider what things I can do to improve my position because I've watched it change and worsen. Over the years, I went from healthy to atrial fibrillation to mm. um, having to wear this dog on, on the dog on CPAP every day and, and high blood mm-hmm. pressure. And when, when I talk to my wife, what I say now is, 
if I don't change something today, there's going to be something new tomorrow. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not a good thing, right? This, this right. journey doesn't go in the opposite direction until I begin to push it in that direction for myself. And it's a, I think that's a journey that so many of us are on just based on the numbers you gave earlier and mm-hmm. the realization of my friends and family, right? This is something that I think we need to really, really take to heart and really make all the changes that we have in our control to make and then continue to fight holistically against the communal and society issues that impact us in our neighborhood, at our jobs, at our mindsets. And yes. man, we, we could go on all day. We are at the end of time. Brother, this has been an amazing episode. There's one thing that I want to ask you to do. Please take a moment and tell the listeners whatever it is that's on your heart to share with them and then offer them any contact information, social media, if they want to understand the program that you're associated with over at Wake Forest, any kind of way they can kind of track and keep up with what's happening and get some information. And the floor is yours, my brother. Sure. Well, again, thank you for the opportunity to share with the community through your platform, which is very important, and how we get the word out, I think, in terms of, you know, educating people. These happen, you know, this this type of education happens one conversation at a time. Yeah. I think the last thing I'll say is the work that people are doing in the community that may not feel like it's related to obesity, but is fighting for social justice and equity and really changing access to safe spaces and creating opportunities for people to learn in environments that are, you know, supportive and healthy and uh, culturally appropriate. You know, I can draw lines to all of those, from all of those activities back to the things that we talked about this evening. So you, you may not feel like you are in this space or that this space is your, your, you know, sort of ballywick or fight um, when it comes to being, you know, thinking about obesity the way I do. Um, but all of those things matter in terms of addressing those structural inequities that, you know, have an impact on access to health care policy and how policymakers approach decision-making when it comes to the black body and health and obesity. So even if you're not going to put in a community garden, but you're going to go out there and you're going to advocate for better wages, that's good. That's just fine. Keep doing that. And, you know, take a little bit of time, look into this issue and and lend your your name or your voice the best way you can. Um, Because I think this is, we have to heal our community if we want to, if we want to continue to survive and be the creative people that we are, we, we cannot live with the burden of disease that we do have um, and expect that we're going to continue to survive the way right. we have. Man. So social, from a social media standpoint, I'm not all the way out there, but I do um, have some uh, space on Twitter. <laughs> so you can hit me up at, uh, at Dr. Ard. Um, it's, a, it's a nice palindrome. Dr. R, D R A R D. So you can you can hit me up there, or, or occasionally I, I get out a tweet or two. 
Um, and usually if, if we've got a presentation or some program that's going to be available to people who are interested, I'll usually make note of that um, in that location. Um, and then if you want to know more about what we do or you're in the North Carolina area um, and you need help with um, getting treatment, you can certainly look us up online at Wake Forest Baptist Health and um, search for Weight Management Center. And um, or just do a Google search for me and you can find me. I'm all I'm, I'm all over the web. I can't can't escape it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Wild Black, I hope you have paid attention. This is an important topic. This is a topic that is going to require your education, your attention and your dedication to begin to make progress against. We talk about a lot of things here. We just came off of a series talking about financial literacy and empowerment, and that's important, but so is this. They go hand in hand if you really, really think about it, right? You make all the amazing financial decisions yeah. in the world, but you are not here to enjoy them nor to teach those behind you how to grow them, then what was it all for? Take your time. Right. Learn this information. Better your position. Better your community's position. Put your mask on first, as they tell you on the airplane. Man, Dr. Absolutely. R, this was great. Brother, thank you so, so much. And with that, Wild Black, we out. Peace. We love you. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.